Welcome, friends, to episode six of Quest Rewind, where on the previous adventure, on the previous quest, we delved deep into the days of the Nintendo 64 in the 90s, talking about the reveal and all of that good stuff. And we concluded with a full-length review of Star Fox 64, and that's available on the podcast feeds right now. But we thought to ourselves, okay, let's travel to the high-definition era, where in many ways, it, it paved the way for a lot of the things that we enjoy now, from online gaming to downloadable content to horse armor and its debut and all of that stuff so on the second quest we'll be dedicating five full episodes to the xbox 360 with yours truly juan from puerto rico i'm ryan from boston and i'm keith from london ontario canada and this is uh this is definitely where we could afford stuff right because in the 90s it was more about well, we got something for Christmas or somebody gave us a gift or we saved up by 2005, which the console came out in November of that year. It was definitely more of a conscious choice of are you the GameCube gamer or PlayStation or Xbox, right? Yeah, this generation was like the first I'm an adult or somewhat of an adult owning a video game console and can purchase my own games and really was the point where I fell like deep in love with gaming, started checking out all the websites, um, seeing all the news. Listen, this is when uh, this generation is when gaming podcasts started becoming big. So I was listening to all of those OG shows and yeah, the one-up show, and then all of the ones that sprung from that. I this this generation, I like can I associate that with and look back at very fondly of. I definitely agree. This is a generation where it's a good. It was a good age for us with this generation because it's right towards like the end of high school for us. So we're maybe have a job at this point, and once you kind of get into college. You have a lot of free time and some money, you know, a lot of broke college kids out there, but you have more money than you did as a kid. You could get and, a little something. Yeah. And you can make some decisions with your life and drive a car, et cetera. You have yeah, a lot more decently agency. or do you want to buy an Xbox and eat ramen for a week? You know, these are choices that you make. Priorities. Exactly. You have more agency over your life plus free time. So this is like the prime age to just like play video games, enjoy it and not have life get in the way too much. And it was a good time with this era for us. So I think that's why we hold it so so fondly. Yeah, same thing. I think this is the first time where, even though I played a lot of uh, games on the PS2 online, this is where you and me, Keith, right? Like Resident Evil 5, like we'll be talking about that in, in future oh, episodes, yeah. but it was truly the online era, more so than high definition. I think it's when we normalize the whole concept of, you don't need to sign in individually and little things like that. And just so everybody has an idea of what the format's going to look like, uh, today we thought we'd do something different because we already recorded a live reaction to the E3 2005 press conference where they actually revealed the console itself. And that's going to be available as a bonus thing. So you're, you're technically getting six episodes out of this as opposed to five. And that was an interesting thing. So today we'll be giving our impressions or reactions to that, as well as a, a little something extra. Then the following episode, people. When you think about 360, this is the one topic that Ryan just said, look, we, we can't cover the console and not dedicate it to the Red Ring of Death and the problems that it had and the, the lawsuits, like just everything that happened with that. Right, Ryan? Yeah, I mean, it's the 
probably the main thing that held me back from ever buying the system. I was able to enjoy it by playing other people's 360, but I was always worried about this issue, especially because it didn't really get solved until the very end. So that's one of the big decisions of why I never own one. Yeah, then other people like myself maybe got it a little bit later. Other people maybe got like, I know friends that had multiple consoles, and we'll talk about that there. Episode three, uh, we'll be talking about the legacy of the console. So after the 360, thinking about the Xbox One, thinking about the series consoles, the PS4, the PS5, what was the foundation that the 360 left that we still cherish, uh, cherish to this day? Then we'll be having another episode talking about the defining games or our favorite games from the console. And and that was going to be making us feel really old because sometimes you think 10 years back, it's like, no, man, we're, we're going way further back than that at that point. And then we'll conclude this second quest with a, a full length game review that I think its effect on gaming history was pretty pretty massive it was massive would you yeah. say it was a massive effect i wasn't sure if i should just around? go there but you know i i went there guys Does exactly that sound like good? you might go to the omega 4 relay it's That's not it. your worst so i'm not i'm not gonna, I'm not gonna it, hold it, over your head. it got the it's job like done. a two on the one scale like that one's pretty passable <laughs> yeah so i didn't physically cringe so you're okay, okay. that's better that's better <laughs> So we can't just immediately jump over to the 360 without at least having a couple of minutes dedicated to the to the OG console. So not the one Xbox or the Xbox One, but the original Xbox, which came out the in November Xbox. 2001. The first, number one, man. In a series of Xboxes, this is the original. <laughs> this isn't the X. This if you could use Xbox. an Xbox as a brick, it will be the first one because that thing... Forget about the size. It's did either of you ever pick up that console and just think like you could you could just hit somebody in the head with this and almost kill them, right? Oh, I know. That thing had weight. Like GameCube gets remembered a lot for its durability and how sturdy it is, but that original Xbox, that OG Xbox, like that thing was built to last. Like that thing is about as durable as it gets. It was. One might say it's an absolute unit. Uh I was able to Yeah, I had to stack it on top of my TV in my bedroom because there was just like no room on any entertainment center or whatever. It just had to go like, and since it was a good old boxy CRT TV at the time, I I was able to stack it on top of that. You can't really do that with today's TVs. Did you come home one day and the Xbox had just caved through the television (laughs) from its weight? It wouldn't surprise me at all if that ever happened, but fortunately, <laughs> I didn't come home to like a heap of flames if, you know, with yeah, that having good. happened. But that that first console is very iconic because the 360, some people remember it as like, oh, it's the one with the hard drive. It's like, hey, but the previous one also had a hard drive because it had anywhere from eight to 10 gigabytes, which now that would seem like nothing. But that was freaking huge. Like, I remember thinking like, five gigabytes? Who's going to need five gigabytes in a freaking hard drive? Yeah, weren't PS2 memory cards like eight megabytes? Yeah. Or 16 megabytes? Exactly. It's like, these were tiny. 40 megabytes at a point was seen as significant, right? So here comes something from eight to 10 gigabytes. I remember being blown away by the fact that in a time where it was normal to need a memory card with the PS2 and the GameCube and all that, here's like memory cards. You could technically get one, 
right? If you wanted to share the data, but it's like, you don't yeah. need none of that. You got a hard drive. And I thought it was like the future is now. What about you guys? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that is, that was the console that I think had the most vision for the future. And that eight to 10 gigabytes, it sounds like nothing nowadays, but this is before you could download full games onto the console. So it was plenty of space for not only your save data, but another benefit was that you could put things like music and other files on emulation. There. Yeah. And the, yeah, uh, that too. But if we're talking strictly the intent of, of the hard drive at the time, having the music, which could be incorporated into some of the games, like good old raw Two, where you could put your own like wrestling entrance music. Right, you that could, was a big deal. Yeah. No, you I could put any, yeah, any music you want, you could just upload it to your console and then use it for your entrance music, which was really, really cool at the time. And no other wrestling game could do that. I, I don't really know if any other games on the original Xbox yeah, had I believe that kind of integration, did. but didn't like Vice City, you could have your own radio oh, station I, I or something so. like that? I think so, much like, yeah, because I know the PC version, you could do that. So I'm sure on the Xbox version, they had like one radio station was just called like custom soundtrack. Yeah. And then it was all your music on there. Yeah, it's it really laid the groundwork for that thing that Microsoft has always been trying to chase of being the home entertainment console. Like even back going to the OG Xbox, it always wanted to be the entertainment box. It's not just your video game console. It's the thing you watch movies on. It's the thing you play music off of. It hooks up to your Microsoft Windows PC. So having that hard drive there, I think was fundamental in doing that because this was before the days of HD. So you could actually fit a couple of movies on a four gigabyte hard drive and a lot of music. And even when like some games were still CDs at that point, so you really couldn't, could fit a couple of those. And that eventually led to a lot of emulation stuff, which is great looking back at the OG Xbox for, but it was fundamental for what Microsoft was trying to do and it was really something that like laid the groundwork for the 360 as that home entertainment console in a lot of ways. It really was and the console was uh, $300 which is a very common price point right sometimes people talk about expensive consoles now or something and we've seen that this is 2001 right yet the price point for consoles it went up a little bit in the following generation but it did back down a bit right it's like uh, when you think about consoles now costing an average of $400, with inflation, the original Xbox was technically more expensive than the consoles coming out now. And maybe eventually we'll be talking about all this. And of course, if you're enjoying what we do, we really would appreciate any five-star reviews and things like that. We also do have the Discord. If you're listening on the podcast app, you can just go to the description and the link to that will be right there. We're also Quest Rewind on Twitter and you can chat with us there. So, the reason that we thought, you know, we don't just want to have the same format as the N64, but then be like, oh, we're going to do 360 and then we'll do, I don't know, PS2 or something like that. For this, because there was an actual E3 press conference and, and more of an event, like, uh, right, where it wasn't just a PowerPoint presentation. This was more of an interactive experience, even though it was still a little cringy. We thought, why not watch it? And you can actually hear our reactions in a future um audio feed uh, special and all that stuff, but we'll be reacting to that, which E3 took place on May 2005 that year. And for context, the actual console came out in November 
of that year. And if you're like me and you forget about just anything that came out that year, I was looking up the list. Guys, 2005 was a pretty badass year for games because we got Shadow of the Colossus on the PS2, Call of Duty, Jade Empire, Time Splitters Future Perfect, one of my freaking favorite games of all time, Resident Evil 4, and Mario Kart DS. 2005, guys, take me back there. Just uh, looking at this list of games and, and gaming as a whole that year, where were you guys at? It's one of those situations where, and, and it always happens at the end of a console life cycle. Like in a lot of ways, this is one of the most exciting things for me when a new console does come out. Like that list you just said is a prime example of they've figured out the old hardware and are just putting out bangers on it. Like at this point in the PS2, the Xbox and the GameCube's life cycle, it was kind of, it was near its end, but before it went out, it just like, hey, we we figured this out. So Resident Evil 4 on the GameCube, we so are about good. to blow your damn mind. Shadow of the Colossus, you didn't know you could do that on a PlayStation 2. And the console and barely out, could, but... Yeah, barely could, <laughs> but it was still a great game. And just, yeah, that's, it's, it's always exciting, even though the new systems are really cool and something to look forward to on the horizon, the figuring out the old stuff is to this day still one of the most exciting things about a console launch yeah some great games here most of which i didn't play in the year that they came out but shadow of the colossus not much needs to be said that hasn't already been said it was so good that it and so ahead of its time that they basically needed the ps4 to finally be what it truly was meant to be but the fact that they were able to make that happen on the ps2 is exactly like at this point People had kind of mastered how to optimize a game for each of these systems. And it's it was uh, definitely a fantastic year. It really was. And I think it laid the groundwork for a lot of stuff that would happen where we see something like Resident Evil 4. But then on the 360, Resident Evil 5, like I was all about that. Mario Kart DS, I think it really showcased the power of online gaming with Nintendo that really you did not associate online gaming and Nintendo at that point, but to me it was mind-blowing finally be able to play Mario Kart online with other people around the world. And that that does take us to the actual E3 press conference, which uh, you can actually watch all of that. There's multiple feeds available on YouTube and glorious 480p, so you can check it out the same way uh, we did. But before watch we Watch along with us. Yeah, you can watch it along with us. So... Before we get to any specifics, what did you guys think? Because when you go back to 2005, technology, clothing, the way of presenting was a lot different. Having watched this, we watched this about a week ago or so, what did you guys think of just traveling back in time, more so than just watching the reveal of the console? The early 2000s are something real different, aren't they? <laughs> Looking back. the Baggy pants. The baggy pants, the overly gelled hair and sticking up in weird ways, the the music of the and um the in, on the xbox side specifically the beauty that is jay allard with his suit jacket and cargo pants yeah. and so it's like it's like i'm cool but i'm also your cool boss right so i'll put on the jacket when it's business time but hey i still got the cargo pants going because i'm a cool dude that's that is 2005 in a nutshell right there <laughs> 
Yeah, when you think back to the early 2000s, like it's hard for you to pinpoint like because you can think, okay, when you think about the 80s, like uh, an image kind of really stands out in your mind. But sometimes it's hard to be like, we're still a little close to the 2000s. It's hard to be like, okay, what was the 2000s like? And then you watch something like this and you're like, okay, things have definitely changed from from this point forward. But the most interesting aspect of this conference was not even necessarily, you know, the content, but more about how the content was presented. And it was much more of a press focused way that knowing that it's not really gamers who are going to be watching this, at least the majority of people watching this are not going to be your everyday Xbox fan or PlayStation 2 fan. It's going to be the people that write the articles for the websites and the magazines that the gamers are going to eventually see. Those are the people that this is built for, the audience for, and then also um, investors, things like that, because they were very focused on like sales numbers and projections and things like that. Stuff that your everyday gamer really doesn't care about, uh, that kind of stuff. So it's more about getting the word out there to interest gamers and investors. Yeah, there was a point in history long after this press conference happened where even though they were called press conferences, they became more like presentations. And it was, oh, here's all the cool things. And wait, we got one more thing to show you. And all of the fun bells and whistles bringing this out celebrities. Yeah. <laughs> and this was a conference for the press. Like this was very much still a press conference, something for investors to go back and decide how they're going to spend their dollars over the next year. And for the press, because back then you have to remember the streamers and the YouTubers didn't exist then. So when you wanted video game news, you went to the video game websites like GameSpot and IGN, the press. So they would go and write about the things that they saw from this press conference. And it was very much still that back then. It, it took a long time for the world to turn into the more presentation side of things. I think this is among the last years where it really did become more about let's become accessible to the consumer because even mm -hmm. though the presentation was a lot more similar to what we know now as E3, when I talk about like the, the, the platform, right? It was a stage where before it really was more of here's a literal PowerPoint slide behind me, even though Sony did do a lot of that that same year. But with Xbox, you know, you have guys like Peter Moore, which this is before maybe his reputation was a little tarnished and all that stuff, but you got a sense of, okay, they're trying to have some faces in front of this, not just Microsoft and Xbox. It's, these are people that you can relate to. And I think even the clothing and the way they would speak and the way they would awkwardly present stuff, which still happens today, not a lot has changed, but there was a transitional period between we got to make this informative, but not boring. I don't think this necessarily succeeded at that, but it definitely laid the foundation because here, we, we talked about this once again, the console came out in November, so not like a very large period. And this event kind of starts with this, uh, this delivery girl with this giant messenger's bag, and then they just put <laughs> it there. And then, boom, that is the Xbox 360 in all its glory. That is the future in that bag. 
Yeah, the future you know, is now. Because it was like shiny gray, so you knew it was a future bag. You knew somebody in a meeting just went like, you can't just have a black bag or a white bag. It needs to <laughs> shine, right? It's the future. And they even said it, the future is now. Like They they crossed off all of the things that you would expect cliches. to hear. Yeah, yeah the, the buzzwords. So what do and you guys think about that? Well, I was, I was going to say that the format of it, you know, just someone coming out and plopping the system down, I feel like it was a little bit unorthodox, or at least what we're used to, right? Normally, I feel like when they present a new console now, they save it for the end, and that's like the big thing. Like, they first they would do, you know, here's the, here's the upcoming original Xbox games, blah, 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 kind of go through all that, build up the hype, and then reveal the system, reveal the games at the end and like one big title to to finish things off. But they were kind of just coming out swinging from the beginning and then it was kind of well, a lot of dialogue. Yeah. <laughs> kind of. They kind of came out swinging because yes, they did the whole the future is now. Here's the Xbox in this future bag. Check out the Xbox 360. But then let's go back to the OG Xbox. Yeah, it like was about a bunch of games. It was for a strange format. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't really make sense when we think about like today's standards. I think a lot of it has to do where, in hindsight, you know, I, I brought this up in, in multiple other episodes. In 2005, I think if you had a Zelda tattoo, it would still be like, oh, wow, you're a gamer too, right? And I think we sort of lump up 2005 Have you gotten with your Zelda tattoo yet, Ryan? I'm I'm not getting a tattoo. You should get yes, it on you your neck. I heard it's a good idea. So <laughs> with, with this, you kind of have the crowd that is super into gaming, but gaming's not mainstream. And honestly, you look at this this conference, you can think to yourself, okay, that's why. Because there's no style, there's no presentation, there's presenting, but you're you're missing that, right? You're missing the world premieres and the the one more thing at the end and that impactful thing. This is more of just, well, here we have the gamers in the corner and we know that would change. And in many ways, I would say the Xbox 360 is one of the most defining consoles to make that change happen because you got to talk about Xbox Live and all that stuff. Yeah, so I had I had a thought in it, you know, bringing up Zelda because I, I have a memory of, you know, seeing a video and I, I just looked it up real quickly but we're talking about how it's mostly press focused for the 360 at this time but i also remember in e3 2004 and maybe this is just a difference between nintendo and xbox but one of the big videos that people kind of go back and watch and be like wow that reaction was crazy was in e3 2004 was the twilight princess reveal and the audience the crowd there is like losing their minds and uh i'm like trying to think because like the audience for this xbox you know this is a year later and the audience is it's such a, such a different thing and i don't a know lot if of it's them look just... like they needed sleep <laughs> yes yeah so i i don't know if people at the time you know the, the different crowds or just the press are big nintendo fanboys or whatever but I, I it's think, interesting it, that it, kind it, of reaction in 2004 but this almost felt so different and this is a year later i think a a big thing that we sometimes forget is nintendo had that legacy piece by that point right where xbox only had the previous console and yeah you have halo and halo 2 and all that but you still look at xbox as a branding this is pre-gears of war which we got to see it here but yeah there's no nostalgia 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think that's, that's a, what... I think that's a big part of it. Yep. Plus, you got to remember, God, out of context, I'm going to get so much hate for this, but when you look at Microsoft and Sony in those early E3s and the way that they present things, like you can kind of tell that they're the technology company. Like here's the specs of our new piece of technology and everything that it's going to integrate and everything it's going to bring to the world. They hadn't figured out the fun factor that Nintendo had built their entire business off of because you have to remember like, yeah, the PlayStation and the PlayStation 2 were out and we had the xbox but all things considered sony and microsoft were still pretty early on in the whole press conference game where nintendo had been doing space world for years and years and years True. and this is the part they that i'm all gone. the craft <laughs> yeah and nintendo has always kind of been a little more toyish if that's the right word, where it's all it's more about the fun and the games and all of the fun thing all the fun you can have with the Nintendo system the same way that you would like present a toy where Sony and Microsoft are very much like, here is our high powered future box that will sit in your living room. And it, when you bring up that Twilight Princess thing, it, and I think it's a great example, it really shows the contrast of how those companies versus Nintendo approached their press conferences back in 2005. Yeah, that's a great point because at this point, Nintendo has like 10 years on Sony as far as the console business and 15 years on Xbox uh, in terms of like how long they've been in the game. And they have that element of nostalgia and everybody wanting after Wind Waker, everyone wanted to see what's a more adult version of Zelda. And that's why people kind of lost their mind for Twilight Princess, where it's like Xbox had one thing in its holster and that's Halo. And Halo 2 had just come out like six months before this presentation. So they don't have they don't have that in their but They can't pull out another Halo. People are enjoying it right now. It's not like a back in the day thing. Exactly. They couldn't pull out Halo 3. It was just way too soon after the release. So uh, they they couldn't kind of garner that kind of that kind of reaction. And I think when you look at the press conference here, and to Keith's point, the tech piece is essential because, yeah, they announced the console, they revealed it, but then they spent a lot of time just talking about the original Xbox to the point that we were confused because you just showed the console, then you see the sizzle reel and we're thinking, wait a minute, that's OG Xbox, OG Xbox, OG Xbox, but then they switched to the first gameplay footage, which is uh, Dead or Alive 4. And I think it was by design to do two things. One, there's a, an obvious graphical leap. I think Dead or Alive 4 was a great example to just show the contrast. They showed other games later like Call of Duty 2, which honestly didn't do a great job of really highlighting the graphical capabilities. But there's also the difference between full screen and widescreen gaming. And I think that's to Keith's point is Microsoft is saying, hey, the future is wide. The future is high definition. Look at these shiny characters, shiny water. Everything is shiny, right? This is where... And we have developers working in 1080i. <laughs> yeah, that to me was just like mind-blowing. 1080p and, and, and 720p and 1080i. It's like, oh man, the future is indeed now. Something that I thought was 
very interesting. And it was kind of like more insider baseball terms is when the, they were talking about this console scanner get rid of the jaggies because of anti-aliasing. You know, the previous generation, especially the PS2, was really bad with the border, with the characters. It was like super jagged edges. Let's be honest, it was totally super there in the 360 and PS3 generation. But what did you guys think about that tech breakdown? Talking about glorious 1080p, 1080i, 16 by 9 anti-aliasing for a console that we sort of forget at launch did not have HDMI ports. That actually came afterwards. What did you guys think about that information? That's a standard that we kind of take for granted, right? With the console before it, I mean, there were a few games that supported widescreen. Uh, I know on the PS2 and the GameCube, I'm, I'm assuming the Xbox probably had some games supporting it too. Then the fact that they say, hey, Every single game now is supported in HD. Like this is our standard. And that basically set the tone, I think, for all the other systems. I mean, the the Wii eventually decided not to follow that. But, um, you know, that set the standard for HD gaming. And, you know, we obviously saw the PS3 follow follow along with that. Yeah, I mean, that's the substance behind their buzzword of the future is now. When you talk about, oh, what actually is that future? It's high definition. It's your 720p with potential 1080i. It's the getting rid of the jaggies. And when they finally got around to showing the Xbox 360 stuff, and I think, Juan, you were right, where Dead or Alive 4 really, really showed just how much of a substantial leap that was. Like, that's the thing that was really the system seller that's the promise that you were getting going forward like these games are going to be incredible we're actually going to get rid of those jaggies we're not just saying that and then it later on showed in things like the project gotham racing and that gears of war teaser like that was the substance behind it it really was and i think they had a lot of stuff that was really good but once again, the formatting was way off. I mentioned before, Call of Duty was in this uh, presentation, but then we got Gears of War, and there was no hype behind that. It was like, hey, here's another game, like kind of Gears of War, you know, that by the Unreal crazy people. crazy to me. The fact that Gears was just something in a sizzle reel, like not the closing, um, like the one of the closing, oh, we've got something cool to show you. Like it was 45 seconds in the middle of that press conference. And it, they had and no that was idea the game. what they had. Yeah, they, they, I don't think they truly knew what they had at the time. And that game looked far and away better than most of the other games that they showed graphically. It just looked much more next-gen than a lot of the other games. And what did you guys think about that? Because it's easy for us to think now, whoa, why didn't they highlight here so much? It's like, they didn't know, right? As you just said, right? They didn't know that they had this. And it's very rare now in a, you know, you look at new modern IPs like Horizon Zero Dawn, and you have a bunch of other games like that, but they were so deep into the generations where it is about that graphical fidelity that aside from the actual game being awesome, it's difficult to be visually impressed, right? But here we have the final leap from standard definition to high definition, and you look at something like Gears, which I didn't play Gears 1. I played 2 and 3 obsessively. I mean, Keith and I played Horde Mode, man, for easily over 50, 60 hours. Yeah, days worth. But Gears of War was one of those games that I looked at in my crappy... I, I don't even know what resolution my monitor was, and in my crappy CRT TV, so it was not 
easy to appreciate like the the graphical leap but i looked at that and i said that can't be real that can't actually be be, be legit gameplay then i saw a gameplay and i really wanted to get myself an xbox what did you guys think about the fact that yeah it, it was just another game and we knew it later became this franchise that it is today because i mean at that point I would have to assume, I mean, I don't know, have the development development history in front of me, but I imagine Gears of War was just that tech demo that they showed. Like, it wasn't even, it was in-engine, but not gameplay. So, it was just something to present, like, hey, here's something that's pretty far out on the horizon, and this is the promise that the Xbox 360 is uh, is going to bring you. So... It's easy to see why it was in the spot it was, but it's still crazy to think going back because I, the hype did get there eventually once they started to have an actual game and people were like, oh, wow, what this, this is amazing. The hype behind Gears was there and then it just blew everybody out of the water, but we were not at that point. Yeah, they, they just might not have had enough to show at that point. I'm actually not sure when the first one did eventually release. Um, but yeah, Keith, let me uh, look that uh, up quick. Nice fact check there. But yeah, we know down the line they had some great marketing because they released one of the greatest video game commercials of all time yeah. that people oh, still yeah. remember. It was released November 7th, 2006. So it was okay, so way down the line. Way, so yeah. yeah, it was probably just that tech demo. But think, they had just think there. about that though. It came out basically around the time of the PS3. So talk about like a one-two punch. Here comes one console a year after the 360, but then you get this amazing game right around that time. And going I back mean, to the conference here, uh, they mentioned that in year one of the 360, we will be getting 25 to 40 titles. Uh, this is when they also you know, showcased Xbox Live, which we got to talk about this. And this is... In addition to like the high definition leap, I think UI, right? User interface is a is a key thing that Sony I don't think ever really dominated because and I say this as somebody that owned a PS3 way before a 360, Sony was more about cleanliness, right? It's like here's buttons on screen, but we don't want to overcomplicate things. Sony didn't even have a marketplace. It was actually a browser because they hadn't developed that yet. But here we have the infamous blades or famous blades, I should say, which I never actually got to experience because by the time I got the console, it was the more, I guess it's more like the one that we have now. But what do you guys think about that where we're used to just pressing the start button and changing a disc, but here it's like you can open up a menu. You can chat with your friends in the underground zone and you can have reputation because because you got to have that what do you guys think of that well after i was done talking with striker in the underground yeah. zone i i i even though they're so revered i honestly think the blades were a little ahead of their time because except like the play blade and maybe the social blade most of them were pretty useless like the multimedia blade unless you really use the xbox to hook up to a computer and watch movies you didn't really have a lot of purpose for it and then there is the setting blade but it's kind of that kind of clunky ui that set the groundwork for the thing that would become better because when when you think about the xbox 360 
you think about the UIs that came later because there was like a substantial uh, shift halfway through the generation. But if the blades didn't lay that groundwork to have things like Xbox Live be so featured in its own section of the console, you wouldn't have the amazing Xbox Live arcade and store and profile UIs that really like stepped it up a huge notch and became the uh, the default w- uh, way of the future future in the uh, in consoles moving forward because like you said one sony just wasn't doing it even though uh the ps3 came later like their ui wasn't anywhere close to the blades like i might be in the uh in the minority here but i hated the ps3 ui with the whole drop down lists and friends and then the more you had the longer it took to load oh yeah that was they didn't have uh, the fact they didn't even have trophies at the beginning and achievements being such a uh important part of the 360 that was another thing that the blades featured like it just it did so much for the x Xbox. And while it's sad to see them go, I appreciate everything the Blades did. I think that's what it's about. Uh, that original UI is setting the tone, setting a foundation. I think it looks very dated now, but for what it was at the time, it obviously was the right thing at that time. And I mean, they weren't afraid to change it down the line and make vast improvements where PlayStation, I mean, they've made improvements with their UI, but it, I mean, it's it looks pretty much like it did, you know, on the uh, on the PS3. Like it's still I mean, I haven't played a PS5 because who has? Uh, hey, but, I have. Well, actually oh, yeah, one. that's right. <laughs> Is the UI the same as the PS4 it's, one? Basically, it's definitely evolved. But um, and I actually pre I've come to appreciate the PS5 one because it's essentially the same thing where it's a line, right? Just here's everything. Yep. But now instead of things loading, you hit the PlayStation Store icon and the store doesn't load. It's already there. So it's a very clean way. But yeah, it's always followed a similar suit, especially with the PS4. Yeah, it's essentially looked the same with improvements made along the line. But like Xbox 3, I mean, Xbox in general, they haven't been afraid to like reinvent themselves with their UIs and and I think the boldness I appreciate. PlayStation is much more about like, here's what we have and we're just going to make minor imp- Like visually, we always want to keep the same look. Like the controller never really changes that much. The UI never really changes that much. They, they kind of want that familiar feeling all the time where I think uh, I give credit to Microsoft for being a bit more bold. And uh, I'm just going to say it now. I really did not like it. And I still don't like because I use my Xbox One a lot. I hate the UI. I think they went too deep into that. I actually think one of my favorite UIs is, is the Xbox 360 just after the Blades because that's where that's before they introduced a lot of ads. So it looked visually appealing, but it wasn't too much. It was still like fairly accessible. Whereas with the Xbox One, I do still get uh, a little overwhelmed. But something else that this is just interesting to look at you know keith you talked about the media part so they showed the media section and when they showed the napster logo and all that which is just remember napster 2005 how, folks yep <laughs> i mean that, the that has to be interface <laughs> that's when napster tried to be like a legal thing like a, yeah it didn't work <laughs> and it it, didn't they work. tried though yeah but the user interface for that part was extremely modern 
because it wasn't the blades. And once again, I didn't experience that back in the day. So when they went there and you could have different apps, including Napster and all that stuff, it was almost like Netflix was maybe three years ago. And it begs the question of how far advanced, how much did they know that eventually people were going to be consuming all this? This is when Netflix was still discs, right? Remember when Netflix yeah. would mail you a disc that you would put in a Wii, for example, or a PS3 or a 360 to watch movies that you would stream? You needed a disc. Yeah, this to is still like pre iPhone where apps became such a thing, right? So they showed the, the PSP that, on screen for crying out loud. Yeah, I know. Of all things, it, yeah, it's yeah. pretty crazy. I mean, Microsoft being a technology company and probably ideas about like phones and stuff coming out in the future i don't i don't know if a microsoft phone had come out at this point but yeah it was a little like look into the future and the future is now it was it was and the other thing i got to bring up because i remember as a gamer that i grew up playing pc games uh ps2 games online so when they said xbox gold and silver you want to play online you got to pay as a broke-ass kid, I thought to myself, that's, ironically enough, I ended up getting the much more expensive console because it didn't have uh, paid online, and the online on PS3 launch was atrocious. But look, younger Juan was stupid and dumb. But the whole concept of paid online, I remember, holy crap, those forums that I was back in the day, they were not having it. Now it's become a normal thing. You know, Nintendo does it, Sony, everybody does it. What did you guys think about that? So the original Xbox, we we did have Xbox Live. And the only way I usually got Xbox Live is like for my birthday, I would get like one of those like cards you could redeem yeah. to play like, oh, a couple months of Xbox Live. But yeah, at the time, I, I don't even know if I at the time the Xbox 360 came out, I don't think I was 18 yet. So I couldn't have like a debit card and... There was no way I was convincing my parents to to pay for it for me. They just would be like, no. <laughs> so th that wasn't happening. So I could see why of like the PS3 was more appealing at that time. Mm -hmm. But I think it's one of those things that it's really easy to get mad about at face value. But once you get it, once you try it, it's something that's more than worth it. Because yes, paying for online sucked and it was crazy but the fact that you never except for like one instance way later on in its life cycle you, you never had any issues with xbox live it was for the most part pretty reliable you you got what you paid for as far as reliable online service where yes the ps3 was free but you also had your fair share of issues that came with yeah, it so you also had your information hacked so yeah, yeah you, see that that's gonna be a nice season or something <laughs> yeah, that's, I was that'll pissed. be fun. That crazy summer where the PS3 was down. Oh, what a! I was so mad because I bought like Mortal Kombat to play online, and then two weeks later that happened. Oof! And just in case, I got real problems. Yeah, folks. it was horrible. It was the same <laughs> thing with me. But uh, this is information I also kind of forgot about. So Xbox Live itself was announced in E3 2002 for the OG Xbox and. It was set at $50 a year. So even though Xbox Live paid online and even DLC was not a new thing, 
in that previous generation, I think we sometimes forget how many people did not have access to decent enough internet to make that happen, right? Even in the 360 PS3 generation, just for context, in Puerto Rico, I had a 20 gigabyte data cap, including upload. So it was combined upload and download. And keep in mind, this is just when like Netflix streaming was kind of becoming a thing. De demos were becoming a thing. And 20 gigabytes in a month with a demo that was like 300 megabytes, it was impossible. So I think the 360 PS3 generation made it more accessible. It was it was part of a more a normal culture. Something else I got to bring up here because it's something that really I, we haven't seen after is faceplates. So, you know, we talked about the Nintendo 64 that had a, a bunch of colors, right? The jungle green, the golden one, the Pikachu one. Here they... They tried something that I, I'm surprised they didn't keep going, maybe for a branding perspective or something. They, you know, they want to have just like the exclusive console that you spend a whole lot of money for as opposed to maybe getting a $20 faceplate. But what did you guys think about the fact that they were promoting that you could customize the front with multiple faceplates? I'm with you where I'm actually shocked they didn't continue it because in the previous generations, those custom consoles were such a big thing. And this was a way to make it more accessible for everybody, like the, the people that couldn't go out and buy the big fancy console in the new color. Like, yes, it was still an Xbox, but oh, now you could have your your, um, I don't know, your Call of Duty faceplate that makes it a little brown in the front, or you could have your wood grain faceplate if you want to be all I fancy in your entertainment system. One. Oh yeah, yeah, I loved the wood grain one. And it was, just, it was just a way to customize it and make it your own. And then it was a, it was a fun pre-order bonus that you could get like, oh, you love this game. Well, get the, uh, get the custom faceplate if you pre-order. So it was a good marketing tool at the same time. I, I don't know why they didn't keep doing it there's got to be a reason though i i don't know if they just wanted to have like a more clean sleek image to it where it looks like fancy in your in your living room or whatever they want to just keep like with the xbox one they just wanted to keep it being this like very unassuming nice sleek object or whatever and it seems like that kind of trend continued a little bit with the Series X, although I don't know what's there's a lot of verticality going on with these systems yeah. now. But yeah, yeah, it seems like Nintendo just kind of stole the idea and is running away with it with the the Switch, where you can get stuff for like the dock and the uh, the Joy Cons. You can put, yeah, Nintendo's like, always been good with that stuff. Yeah, because they're you know they know what they are. They know it's more about like fun, and they're not trying to look like this you know, all in one entertainment thing that's supposed to look adult. Like they just like to have fun with it. So they just kind of ran away with that whole faceplate thing. According to a uh, Eurogamer article that I just found, it was discontinued because apparently nobody bought the faceplates. Well, never mind. So there's that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I think it's maybe one of those things where I thought about this when they re revealed the PS5, and it, the thing is a freaking massive beast. It's huge, right? And even though you look at it a couple of times, other times I've turned it on, I, look, it's the box that plays games. I really don't give a crap, right? So I think Xbox has always been better with just, it's a kind of sleek looking box. You're going to look at it twice, and then you're just going to put games in it. And if you have a digital one, you don't even do that. So after a point, unless it's something like the GameCube that functionally is different, where it was meant to be grabbed, 
you know, the Wii is portable enough. It was like super tiny, right? That was the gimmick. You could just take it anywhere. The N64, you could lug that thing anywhere because it was cartridges. So I, I, I guess I, I can see that. So I think people like the custom controller idea a little oh, bit yeah. more than like the console itself. It feels more special. Like it, that's the thing that's like in your hands while you're playing the game. So people, I think, are uh, more into that where I'm more likely to get a special controller than like a faceplate or something. For I mean, a Microsoft console, has you know? their very own website that you can make your own customized controller, buy yeah. it and everything. So. Did that start with the 360 or was that, that Xbox started- One? I th- I know I've to me it became was popular with it? the Xbox One, so I'm pretty sure it was yeah. around there. I think it was with the Xbox One around the time that the Elite became big. Yeah. So Keith, you're you're the fact checker. So while I introduce the, the this next game, we got to talk about <laughs> in, the, in this presentation. This what, series. What do I even fact check for that? When did Xbox custom controllers become a yeah. thing? <laughs> hey, you, you yeah. can make it happen. You can make it happen. This game. We saw the review. I don't think we've ever laughed so much as live reacting to something as we did when they showed the sequel to Elder Scrolls Morrowind. And look, I love Oblivion. I played Oblivion on the 360. I still love that game. I played Skyrim. And I knew that Oblivion was bloomy, right? Like the bloom effect. But holy crap. That game is just like, they poured water on the screen and that was the trailer. What did you guys <laughs> think about that? In hindsight, it actually looked worse than I yeah, remember it looking. There, I think Oblivion looks a heck of a lot worse than how you remember it going back. Because I, I played a lot of Oblivion when it first came out. And in my head, I guess I confuse it with Skyrim and think it kind of looked like that. When it turns out the answer is absolutely not. The phases were just, uh yeah, the faces, the to Oblivion gates. Now, I haven't played Oblivion, but to be fair, we're watching a 480p video. So maybe I need to look at some at least 720p it's not footage that of, of Oblivion. I, I actually but. played this version of it. On PC, Like you can, just like anything, you can modify settings and it can look normal. But I remember my first impression when I saw Oblivion, me playing it on an on an 1080i TV, actually, is, wow, this looks both great and horrible <laughs> at the exact same time. How does I that mean, even happen? Do- you got to do what you got to do. They crammed a lot on that disc, so you need to add a couple effects to uh, kind of smooth it out and not to see all the jank behind it, because boy, oh boy, there was a lot of jank behind there that. There was a lot of that. And then here's... And, uh, before you continue, yeah. I would fact checker here. Um, the custom controllers only became big in 2016 when they introduced or when they reintroduced the Microsoft Design Lab. So it's something, oh, it's something very that like official didn't become a thing for a long time, but like the mad cats of the world were still locking it down oh, at yeah. that point. And that's <laughs> where you got your custom controllers. Well, Keith, thank you, my friend, for always providing all of that essential information. fact check. Yeah. <laughs> So this is where, you know, they had shown Oblivion, they had shown Gears, they had shown a lot. And what have we be? What have we become accustomed at a press conference? Right? It's going to end. Oh, but there's one more thing. And the whole time I'm thinking, like, what is it going to be? You said Ryan, as we were watching, it can't be Halo because we we just got Halo Two. They can't compete against that. So they end the conference 
with well they had two endings technically they had the sizzle reel which really upset me for a good reason i guess but the end of the conference talking about final fantasy 11 which is an mmo game that's already playable on the it's it's also on the ps2 and that's how it ended and sure it lo- look it looks better than the one on the ps2 but what an odd game to close this out with, right? At first, I thought about it, and with the benefit of having, right, I agreed with it, but the benefit of having some time after watching it, I feel like it was supposed to be a bigger moment than it actually was, right? Because if you look back to the like the generation before it, what was the big thing that Sony did? Sony took Final Fantasy away from Nintendo. True. So... Xbox here was being like, guys, we got Final Fantasy. Unfortunately for them, it was Final Fantasy XI, and it didn't exactly have the weight that they wanted it to, but they're like, we got Final Fantasy too, so you guys need to get this Xbox. So I think that's what they were going for. It just didn't land. And it's one of those things that's amazing to look at going back because, yeah, you like we mentioned, we had Gears of War here. We had Oblivion. We had Project Gotham Racing. We had the new lineup of EA Sports games, which we kind of gl- or like we didn't oh, talk about. Right. It, but that's that's my favorite moment of the actual conference itself when they first showed 2K and then talked shit about the EA games and then had the president of EA come on stage and be like <laughs> oh, here's gaming. our games <laughs> i loved oh god i love that so much which was the sports game it was like, like the, the, the soccer the football game where they just looked like a white piece of paper they had no texture oh <laughs> yeah there was some guy that looked like a zombie i think oh, in yeah. the uh, fifa game oh, but yeah madden they they literally had no gameplay footage of madden it was just like a cutscene that probably wasn't even in the game Mm-hmm. And they, they like all of that, all of the future of Xbox stuff, and they decide to close it with a PS2 MMO that's also on the Xbox 360. Like, and, and by the way, felt, I just want to say, go, like, go ahead. Final Fantasy 11 came out May 2002 was the official release. 2002. So it's actually yeah, so older than because in my years head, because I did play this and I was convinced this was like 2004 or something. No, this is actually like the the first release was there. So we're talking years after it actually came out. So what I was going to say is I think they saved it for last because that was the biggest franchise that they had. Right. But unfortunately, mm-hmm. like Keith said, we're talking about 11 because I'm guessing 12 is out at this point. Right. And if they I think the home run that 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 would have actually worked is if they were like, hey, Final Fantasy 13 on the Xbox 360. But obviously, we're still years out from that even coming out. So it just kind of like for us, it fell flat. I don't know how people felt about it at the time, but it's already a three year old game at this point when they're talking about it. I'm sure it's a better experience, but I feel like anyone who really wanted to play that game probably already played it. They really did. And then the actual closeout, which, like I mentioned before, upset because it was legit good. They close out with the scissor reel, but it's not like they hype it up. It's one of these things where they end the conference and then they just play this video. And then we see Quake 4, The Darkness, a whole lot of amazing games that I just thought like, 
why did you start out with this? Like in yeah, the Dead ideal Rising world, was in there. Yeah, that's what I'm like, saying. God, like Dead, Dead Rising. Like, yeah. So even if they didn't have anything more to show than what they showed in those reels, it would have been way more impactful to be like, oh, here's Quake Four in this game. Like just give us a little blurb and then be like, hey. Dead Rising. This is going to be a game where you're trapped in a mall and you have to mow down zombies. Like, that would have got way more hype than just like five seconds of Dead Rising. Because I think in the perfect world, the conference would have started with the amazing messenger bag, right? I would have made it even shinier with LEDs or something. They show the console, they play This Is a Real. Because then you're like, here's the console, and look at all this stuff. And that would have been amazing. Then you go back to like OG Xbox, that's what we've done. Then you show Dead or, Dead or Alive 4. So I think my biggest takeaway from this conference is pacing and placement. I think we undermine just how important a press conference is. It's, it's essentially like a movie, right? A movie, you remember what? How it started and how it ends. Same thing with yeah. a show. If it ends like zizzling out see what i did there then you kind of just think well it was an all right event and that's where they you know later started adding the closing stuff but you had even if they showed this exact amount of gameplay i'm not saying maybe they literally just had that from dead rising right they couldn't show anything else hype people up at the beginning get that buy-in because for me i did walk out of this conference i mean i was just in my chair but i walked out of it thinking <laughs> uh, I mean, it became a great console, but I really wasn't sold on it. It's great potential, but I think I was I was missing that thing the because they didn't key any of that. Because it wasn't exactly like this was the beginning of it, but it wasn't quite there yet. So what did you guys think of it as, as a whole? Knowing like we'll be talking about the what the 360 became in the in the legacy episode. But hypothetically, we're back in 05. You have a little bit of money where you can get the 360 or you can wait a year and get the PS3. If you were to watch this, and I know it's very difficult to answer this, you know, accurately, but what would, how would you walk away uh, how would you walk away feeling? I mean, thinking about myself from back then, I what like I was a late adopter to the Xbox 360. I think it was I didn't pick it up until like a year or two after. So even though this press conference existed, it wasn't enough for me to go out and be like, I need the Xbox 360 right now. It was something that I saw clips of online and like, oh, I guess that looks pretty cool, but I still got my PlayStation 2. I'm good. So while it set all this groundwork like we talked about throughout the episode, it wasn't enough for me to go like wow i need the xbox 360 launch day so i don't think it was as effective as they wanted it to be from a consumer standpoint thinking about consumer teenager keith which was probably the target demographic at that point it didn't hit the mark but as far as like an investor thing of this is the future and this is how you are going to spend your money if you invest in Microsoft, it was probably pretty successful in showing off everything that the 360 could do. Yeah, from a consumer standpoint, this definitely would have been, would have not been enough for me to be excited. Like, I, I wouldn't have known what Gears of War was at the time. I would not have cared at all about Final Fantasy Eleven. that's for sure, and that's supposed to be their big hitter. And I, I just don't think I was into 
much of what they showed me in in this presentation. So it wouldn't have sold me. And we're, you know, we're even skipping across like the the amount of times where there was just lulls in this presentation of just nothing but dialogue. But there was quite a few of those where they were just going on for 10 minutes just talking. And we know that would be like basically criminal in today's E3. It really wouldn't. I think, and maybe I even answer, uh, I asked it differently because we were in a position where maybe we could buy the console and the three of us did not. Like eventually I did and I have a 360 collection. I have an Xbox 360 next to me right now. And sometimes I even use it more than my Xbox One because I love a lot of those games. So we're not sitting here saying, oh, the 360 is back console. No, like it was my main console for all. years and it's freaking awesome. But it goes to show, and I think it goes back to the main point we mentioned where, Ryan, you mentioned the Twilight Princess reveal. Even though we had the Xbox, the fact that we have multiple Nintendo consoles before this, and we had at least two PlayStations, and the PlayStation 2, I mean, that freaking library, right? So then you look at the 360, and I think a lot of people, especially with Sony hyping up the eventual PS3 with like future technologies. Well, I love the PS2. I guess I'll wait yeah. it out a year. Th- that's another aspect of my problem. Probably my attitude at the time, if I had watched this, would have been, well, that's all right, but I really want to see what PlayStation's going to do because having played the PS2 and how many amazing games were on that, I was. I would have probably been like, okay, let's see what PlayStation's got. Yeah. Absolutely. And everybody watching and listening, we really would love to get your feedback because first of all, once again, the link to the actual E3 press conference is going to be in the description of the uh, podcast feed of the YouTube video. I really enjoyed it rather than just talking about things from back in the day to actually go back and watch this E3 press conference is not something we can do with like the PS1. There are events, but they're going to be boring AF, right? So I think it'll be interesting if we eventually leap more towards the mid-cycle, right? Not going to PS4 and, and Xbox One, but like halfway through the PS3, halfway through the Xbox 360, stuff like that. So uh, people, just to whet your appetite, next episode, this is going to get interesting. And I'll be honest, as a, as a host... I think Ryan and, and Keith were definitely more on the, no, we got to talk about the Red Ring on the second episode. And I thought to myself, well, that that's going to be powerful. It's going to be a fun one. But why do you guys think it's so important that before we talk about more amazing things like the defining games and what the 360 left, we can't, we can't just overlook that part? As far as the Xbox launch, it is unfortunately the the story it was the story big enough to get uh to get uh reported on by all of the big news outlets and really set the trend for a consumer unfriendly future when it comes to actual launches of consoles like there is such an arms race to get out first that it's really the um the byproduct of that and the unfortunate situations that come with it i think it's just an important conversation of here's a console having a critical failure with it Yet it's still dominating and there's a whole conversation to be had about why that is. 
It really is. It really is. So we were actually going to talk about that next week, people. So uh, get the pitchforks out. It, there will be some hate. It's going to happen. But once again, <laughs> it's a console that we love. But just because we love it, just like the N64 and everything else, it, you can't just look at it with rose-tinted glasses. You got to have a real and yeah. raw conversation. So if there's anything that we ask people is... Fact check, Keith. Get raw. Is it true that, is it true? <laughs> it's get those towels out to wrap yeah, around them, your get consoles. Them. Yeah, get, get the gasoline <laughs> out, put it in the pitchforks, get all that stuff. But Keith, is it true that if you leave, you know, the, the, those listening, if they leave a five-star review, Ryan sleeps a little better each night? Hold on. Let me Google that quickly. Does Ryan sleep better after a review? Yep. That turns out that if you leave us a five-star review on your favorite podcast platform, Mr. McNulty from Boston, I don't even know why I just tried to say mash. <laughs> from Boston I can't, mash. I can't say, yeah, from Boston, Boston mass will have a better sleep. Yeah, I've had so. insomnia for days, folks. <laughs> I need a five-star review. Is this Help the marketing point? People, yeah, Ryan yeah. needs to sleep. <laughs> Save him. You can Save die him. if you don't sleep. You know that? Your <laughs> <laughs> five-star review. Don't die, Ryan. And with that, Seriously. People, we'll catch you next week on another episode of Quest Rewind. Take care.